You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. We are going through the Gospel of John this year, and what we are learning about is Jesus and people. And we've learned a lot about how Jesus interacts with and does ministry to various people groups. We've seen Jesus with Jewish people, Samaritan people, Roman people, and those are groups that typically don't get along with each other, and yet Jesus pursues each one. We've seen Jesus deal with men, women, rich, poor, young, old, powerful, powerless, those who are healthy, those who are sick. And it just goes to show you that Jesus cares about everyone, and everyone needs Jesus. And you're going to meet a guy today who is sick, who's been disabled, who has chronic pain and suffering for 38 years, which is longer than most men even lived in that day and time. Maybe some of you struggle with this. Your health is not great. Your chronic health problems for some of you make it so hard to to even get up and get going in the morning. And coming to church is a tremendous effort then you would relate to this man and his struggle. Here's how John 5 opens. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. One thing that's really helpful for uh, biblical information is archaeology. And as archaeologists dig up the past and they discover that, lo and behold, things that were talked about in the Bible actually existed. People that are mentioned in the Bible actually existed. And so it just goes to confirm the history and trustworthiness of God's Word. Here we are given some pretty significant detail. In the temple courts, there's this gate with a pool with five colonnades, and all of that is historically accurate and true. That place, or at least the ruins of that place, still exist. Here, at that pool, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. The reason they're there is because that pool of water that's there. That on an occasion... An angel would show up unannounced and stir up the waters, and that meant that God was about to do some healing. So what would happen is you'd gather around the pool, and you'd wait for the angel to come and stir the water, and the first one in gets healed. The thing is, it's a one-and-done deal. That's it. Just imagine how frantic this event is. People there that are sick people there that are dying, people that are disabled and yearning, waiting, hoping, praying for healing. They come to this place and they sit there day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. Imagine all these people packed in and it is a desperate place. But God comes to earth and he goes right to this place and right to those people. And in some regard, we're just like them. We all have 
brokenness. We all have sickness. We all have places where there's struggles. And it's really encouraging that Jesus would come to broken people in a desperate place and do a wonderful thing. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Think about this. For 38 years, this guy has not taken a step. He's not been able to care for himself. He's not been able to provide a living. As far as we know, he's never been married, has no kids. His future is very bleak. After 38 years, you assume this is all I get. There's no change. There's no hope for me. That's where this man emotionally finds himself. Those of you that have some sort of ailment, illness, cancer, disability, chronic pain, or you love someone who struggles with this, you have empathy and compassion. Jesus has empathy and compassion. That's why he goes there. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, I want you to see he doesn't speak to everyone. He speaks to one man. And then he asks this really curious question. He asked him, do you want to get well? A bit of an odd question at first glance. I mean, well, I'm here at the pool, which healing takes place. So yeah, I'm here. (laughs) But let me say this, not everyone wants to get better. Not everyone wants things to change. Some people are in that place because they want company. They're alone and they just want other people around them. Some people are in that place because they want sympathy. They want others to pass by and feel sorry for them. Some are in that place because they want charity. They want folks with large hearts to open up their large wallets and give large gifts. Not everyone goes there to get healed. Some are but not everyone. In some regards, that place is like a church. It's where people come together and you'd think that they are all coming together to get better, that their lives would get changed, that what they were struggling with, what they were suffering from could get touched by God. They'd bring it to God, God would touch it and death would become life. True or false, how many of you think that everyone who goes to church wants their life to change? Many don't. Some want sympathy, some want company, some want charity. And Jesus asks the question, do you want to be well? Do you want to get well? And you see, about that question is the the desire to get well, the want to, has to be there first. That has to precede The how-to. I didn't know this as a young pastor. I thought everyone who wanted to meet with me wanted their life changed. That's why they came to me. All I had to do was just sit down there, listen, and say, okay, here's what you got to do. This will change it. This will make it all better. And I realized not everybody wants to. Let me give you a hypothetical example. A couple is married, and they're not getting along. I know that never happens. It's speculative on my part. Husband and wife, married, not getting along. You can sit there and tell them, here are all the things you can do to change your marriage relationship. Here are all the how-tos. But if they don't have the want to, nothing happens. 
I've met with couples who struggle, and after hearing from them, well, here's what I think will help you get through this. If you'll do these next steps, and I've had on occasion one or both of them sitting there saying, I don't want to work on it. All the how-tos are of no use if there's not a want to. Question is, do you want to do you want your life to change? Do you want things to be different? Do you want to get healed up? Do you want things to get better? I mean, how many of you have heard from a doctor, you need to make changes, your lifestyle is, is harming your health? And some people make no change. And they go back to the doctor a year later, hey, doc, how am I doing? Not well. If you want to change, you can learn how to change. So Jesus would ask the same question today. What do you bring to this place that is broken? Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's mental. Maybe it's spiritual or financial or physical or relational, that there's something broken. There's something that's wrong. There's something that's painful. And you're here. And the question is, do you want to get well? Do you want that to change? Remember, Jesus asked a question, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. What seemed like a simple yes or no kind of question gets by this gentleman a terrible tale that he's going to share. Not how could God change this, See, what I hope for every one of us in this room and everyone watching is that you would have that terrible story turn into a redemption story. That I brought this pain, I brought this problem, I brought this anguish before the Lord Jesus and he took it. And he is helping me go from death to life so I can be healed and move forward. This man does not have a redemption story, not yet. So here's his story. I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. I'm here. I'm a victim. I can't get in. Nobody helps me. Some guy breaks in line, gets healed first, I'm still here in my misery. This man, does he ask God to heal him? No. Does it say that he has faith? No. Yet that's sometimes how God works. He comes to you. You don't go to him. He calls out to you. You don't call out to him. The story continues. We'll see what Jesus does. Then Jesus said to him, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. This is an instantaneous healing. Sometimes God works through a process. Sometimes you've been injured. You've got to have surgery. You've got physical therapy to look forward to. It's a process. Sometimes emotionally, you're brokenhearted. It's a process. You finally get to the point where you can forgive someone. And that inner healing begins to take place. 
and you're able to move on. It's a process. God can and does work sometimes through a process, but sometimes God works in an instant. This man experiences the healing power of Jesus in an instant. Jesus says, get up. He hasn't gotten up in 38 years. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Remember, Jesus didn't heal everyone. He healed just this one. But I've got to believe that everybody is watching what's taking place and sees this man get up and walk away. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Now, all the way back in creation, God established the Sabbath day as a day of rest for your body, as a day of worship for your soul, that you would meet with God, you would meet with God's people, you would sing God's praises. That was on a Saturday back in that day. We as Christians worship on Sunday because it's the day of Jesus' resurrection. That means that because of Jesus, everything is made new. Everything changes with the resurrection of Jesus. So the day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. They can't be happy about a healing. You broke a rule. You picked up your bed. Now, let's talk about this. Does the Bible forbid you from taking up your bed on the Sabbath? No. God's word has principles. God's people have methods to enact those principles. God's principles never change. People's methods do change. In the Bible, God says, take the Sabbath day as a day of rest and a day of worship. That's a principle. God laid out some methods, but not all. So there are, he didn't say, okay, in this situation you do this, in this situation. So the religious leaders came in and said, okay, God, thank you for writing the book. We noticed that you didn't finish it. We're going to complete it for you. They add to God's word. So man-made rules. No healing on the Sabbath unless someone is dying. Is this man dying? Technically, no. He's been this way for 38 years. So, Jesus, you did a bad thing. You should have waited. Nice healing, wrong day. In addition, man-made rule. You are not allowed to carry something on the Sabbath. And here is this man carrying his mat because Jesus told him so. Let me say this. We are to cling to God's promises. We are to cling to God's principles. But we want to be really flexible with the methods. And here's another thing. (laughs) They're arguing with Jesus. If you're arguing with Jesus, maybe you ought to rethink your position. He replied, so the man replied to those religious leaders, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was. He didn't even know who Jesus was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. 
Ninja Jesus. He's gone. He heals, he's gone. Later, Jesus found him at the temple. Now notice that. The guy gets healed. He doesn't know who Jesus is. But you get, I get the illustration, I get the picture. That Jesus has never taken his eyes off this man. He knows exactly where to find him. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Let me pause here and clarify for you four different ways that suffering is caused. The first is simply because we live in a fallen world. Things happen because this world is not perfect. Sin entered the world, and that brings sickness, it brings suffering, it brings death. It's not necessarily a cause and effect. You can't say, well, because you did this, therefore you're feeling this way, or this has happened to you. It's a punishment thing. It's a cause and effect. We live in a fallen world. The Apostle Paul in Romans 5, 12 said this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, talking about Adam's disobedience, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. When God made the world, he said it was very good. We sinned and everything went very wrong. As a result, there is strife, there is suffering, there is sickness Some of the suffering is just because we live in a fallen world. A second cause for suffering is that you are a victim. Someone else has done something to you to cause you great harm, pain, suffering. Maybe it was a, a driver that plowed through an intersection and hit you and you've had to have surgery and pain the rest of your life. A third cause of suffering is demonic. Satan and demons are real and they cause real harm in real people's lives. This is the case of the guy named Job in the Old Testament. He was righteous and he loved God, but he suffered a lot because he was under demonic torment and attack. And the fourth cause of suffering is that we bring it on ourselves. Sometimes we hurt ourselves. We do things to bring pain into our own life. And sometimes we're so steeped into it, we forget how we've participated in it. Now, we don't know this man's situation. Evidently, he was in this fourth category. I'll tell you why in just a sec. But last week, we read the story of Jesus healing a little boy. I would put him in that first category of one who uh, just lives in a fallen world. How did this little boy get close to dying? Doesn't make any sense other than we live in a fallen world. But let me say this. Jesus can minister to anyone in any of these categories because he has the power to serve and heal anyone. But this man, there is some sin in his life. Remember, Jesus said, stop sinning or something worse can happen. 
We don't know what that sin was. Maybe it was self-destructive behavior. Ultimately, it cost him dearly in a way that brought him great grief and pain. But let me ask you, do you want to get well? And is any of the pain in your life caused by your own sin or rebellion against God? This man was healed. And Jesus said to him, you'll stay healed as long as you don't go back to your pattern of sin. What Jesus is telling this man and saying to him, pick up your mat and walk is literally you need to get up and you need to get going and move forward. There's a man in the Old Testament. His name is Lot. Lot, his wife, his family, they lived in the region of Sodom and Gomorrah. If you ever heard of that region, you know in the Bible, that's not a good place to be. And when they are rescued, God says, don't look back. You need to forget that life, forget that lifestyle, forget those choices, forget those relationships so that you can move forward. It's time to do that. As they're leaving, what does Lot's wife do? She looks back. She becomes a pillar of salt. The Apostle Paul in Philippians says, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I press forward the call of God in my life. Some of you, God has done great things. He has loved you, healed you, encouraged you, called you, and you're still there on the mat. And it's time to change, and it's time to get up and start moving forward and do something different. That's what Jesus is telling this man. That's what he is telling all of his people. What is it that you need to walk away from so you can walk toward the destiny and future God has for you? Some of you don't like change or you like the company or the sympathy, but Jesus is saying, get up and go, heal up, give it to me. The story continues. Jesus heals a man and that starts a conflict with the religious people. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. Remember, this is still early in Jesus' ministry, and it's already started this early on with the suffering, the persecution toward Jesus. He is healing this man's suffering, and in exchange, it started Jesus' suffering. And Jesus' suffering will last the next three years all the way up until the crucifixion. And what you've got to know is that that was the plan from the beginning of time. Jesus takes on everything wrong in our lives, not just physically, but emotionally, spiritually. We've been dead spiritually because of our sin. And Jesus exchanges his life for ours. He takes it all on, on the cross He takes on all of your sin for you. Here, Jesus is being confronted by these religious leaders, and he doesn't back down. In fact, he increases his focus. Here's what he said. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My Father is always at his work to this very day, 
and I too am working. What he's saying is this, God is a father, I'm his son, and I'm going to work for my dad. See, the kingdom of God is a family business. Jesus shows up. We don't like what you're doing. He says, well, then take that up with my father. I'm doing what my father does. I'm saying what my father says. I'm going where my father goes. If you've got a problem with me, you've got a problem with him. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Let me make this absolutely clear. Some people say Jesus never said he was God. He emphatically, publicly, repeatedly, unapologetically said he was God. That's why the persecution for the next three years, all the way up to the, cru- up to the crucifixion, And you need to understand how unique Jesus' claims are. Other religions will say this about Jesus. They'll say he was a good man, but not a God man. That is a distinctively unique feature of the Christian faith. I'll give you some examples. Jehovah Witnesses say Jesus never claimed to be God. Yes, he did. The Baha'i faith founded in Iran says that Jesus is a manifestation of God. And he is a prophet, but an inferior prophet to our prophets. The Buddhists say that Jesus was not God. He was an enlightened man. And the Christian science founder, Mary Baker Eddy, says Jesus is not God. And he did not and he could not suffer for sins. And it goes on and on. So ultimately, it really comes down to what you think about Jesus. Why did they attack him, harass him, persecute him, seek to kill him? Because he repeatedly kept saying he was God. You need to know he was God. He is God. He became a man seeking a relationship with you, that Jesus is coming to you. He is a God who comes to you to heal you and pursue you and love you and transform you, even if it should cost him his own suffering and persecution and even death. That's how great and glorious our Jesus is. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because what the father does, the son also does. Some people may say, I don't believe in Jesus, but I believe in God. I don't believe in Jesus, but I believe in a higher power. Jesus says, it's me and the father. If you reject me, you reject him. If you don't know me, you don't know him. Because Jesus says, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed because it's not just one guy that's going to get healed. Jesus is going to go into the grave, and when he comes back again, he is conquering death so that ultimately 
healing all of his children. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, that's a wonderful promise, isn't it? Some of you are sick, and you need to know that all of God's children will be healed. It's not a question of if. It's just a question of when. And many of you that are suffering now, it would be wonderful if God would heal you. And for some of you, he will in this life. But I can tell you this. There is a day coming when you will be raised from the dead. You know what's amazing? This guy never even asked for any of this. Maybe that's the story for some of you. You weren't seeking God. But God got a hold of you. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so even the Son gives life to those to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. Here's what Jesus is saying. Me and the Father, we are working together. We have the same vision. If you have division, you're making no progress. Because what division is, is two of you pulling in opposite directions. For some of you, I may have just described your marriage. That you need agreement. You need to get in alignment in your relationships, and especially in your relationship with God. You've been pulling from him. And the second thing I want you to see here is how Jesus explains the relationship between he and God. It's as father and son. Some of you may struggle with God as father because you have a wound from your own father. And you sometimes project on your heavenly father the relationship, what that was like with your earthly father. He just wants to be in charge. He doesn't want a relationship. He's distant, and I don't like him very much. We need to heal that up. Step number one, don't judge the heavenly father by your earthly father. Judge your earthly father by your heavenly father. Jesus says he is the son of God. Let me use an analogy. For most of us men, we wouldn't understand the father heart of God until we became a dad. Then you're like, I love this baby. I I want to protect. I want to have a relationship with. I want to provide for. I don't want to go anywhere. I I want to help this kid, right? How many of you have felt that? Here's what you need to know. God's heart is a father's heart. You are the children of God. You are his sons and daughters. That will heal you. And if you belong to Jesus, he loves you. He forgives you. He wants a relationship with you. He corrects you. He guides you. He is building a home for you for eternity. And then Jesus brings us great hope. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. 
For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Jesus refers to himself some 70 times in the Gospels as the Son of Man. That title comes from Daniel chapter 7, where it means that God becomes a man and enters human history. And here he says the dead will rise and they will all give account to him. So no one avoids Jesus. No one bypasses Jesus. That's why your eternal destiny is determined by what you think of him. Do you believe he is the son of God? Do you believe he is God? Do you believe that he came to do the work of the father? Do you believe that he came to bring healing and eternal life? Today, we can deal with your biggest problem. That you don't have to be separated from Jesus anymore. That you don't have to suffer for eternity because Jesus suffered for you. That you don't have to endure the wrath of God because Jesus endured the wrath of God. That you don't have to die in your sin because Jesus died for your sin. And he concludes it this way. Do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. Let me just say this. Those who have done good or done evil, it's not about your works that saves you. This goes back to what you believe about Jesus. What have you done with him? That means the most important decision that you will ever make is what you think about Jesus. If you have not done this before, this is the day that God is inviting you to embrace that relationship and receive eternal life. To this man on the mat, Jesus healed him. Jesus touched him. Jesus pursued him. Jesus loved him. Jesus changed him. What does Jesus need to do in your life today? What does Jesus need to heal? What does Jesus need to forgive? What does Jesus need to change? Here's the question. It's Jesus' question. Do you want to be healed? Are you ready to be done with your past? Are you ready to be done with your bitterness? Are you ready to be done with your excuse-making? You can pray, Jesus, I, I want to be healed and I want to pick up my mat and I want to move forward. You may not know it, but that's why you're here today. That there are some things in your life that you need to give to Jesus that need to be buried so that you can get up and you can get going. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.